So let me just say this. You know I like to have interaction in whenever I come up to speak. Name one thing that you're grateful for and tell the person next to you. I'll give you three seconds to do that. Ready, go. <clears throat> okay, I am grateful for my family. You guys know that I didn't get married till I was 38 years, 10 months, and 27 days of age. And that I always wanted to have a wife. I married out of my league. And now God has given us three beautiful children, five, three, and one. And the other day I was trying to get them ready for school and help Erica. And uh, we, I got my five-year-old Gabrielle in the car and my one-and-a-half-year-old Zeke in the car. But my three-year-old three tends to dawdle just a little bit. She always has something extra she needs to do, like putting shoes on her Barbie or whatever. And so I'm trying to help her and I had to get her shoes on. And I walked outside the door with her and she's like, no, no, daddy, we have to get our, my water bottle in my backpack. And so I stopped and I put her, her water bottle in her backpack and then I started to carry. And she says, no, 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 daddy, I have to wear my backpack. I'm going to school. And so she puts her backpack on and it comes down to her knees. And um, I look at her, I'm just, she makes me laugh so much. And little Gracie. She, she puts her hands out behind her and she begins to run towards the car. And I overhear her say to herself, no Gracie's left behind. <laughs> you know, she got that from the movie Trolls, which is a kid's movie. And in the movie, the king says about his people, no trolls left behind. And it was a blessing to me because it reminded me of our purpose. It reminded me that we also serve a king who said, no People left behind. And when Jesus came to this earth, he said that the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Because every soul matters to him. There's not one creation that he put together in their mother's womb that does not matter or have value to him. And his desire is that all people would come to know him as Lord and Savior and that he would create an opportunity for them to come to the Father and spend an eternity with the Creator who loves them so much. So grateful for my family. But I'm going to admit to you, during this season, it's been a tough season. Does anybody agree with that? I mean, I'm just tired. I'm tired, man. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm tired. Would you just respond, you look like it. But I mean, there's a lot going on, right? With pandemics and hurricanes and divided society and election and all the vitriol that comes with that. And Alabama's football team is still pretty good. The Lord will judge you. <laughs> Listen, in all of that, I'm getting older. And my body is falling apart. I can't jump as high as I used to or run as fast. My pants don't fit quite as well as they used to. I have furniture disease. Everything in my chest has fallen into my drawers. <laughs> but I'm just tired. The other day I was laying in bed and my wife and I were getting ready to go to bed and I just, she could tell something was wrong and I told her about all the stuff, you know, that's going on and all the contention and just everything. And, um, I said on top of all that, I just, I'm, I'm so, I hate getting older. And she said, you know, Shane, she said, our grandparents faced far worse. Well, your grandparents and my great grandparents, cause you're a lot older than me. And so I rolled up into a fetal position and cried myself to sleep. But is anyone else getting tired in here right now in our society? 
According to the Journal of American Medical Association, uh, they cited a study that indicates that in the 20th century, people who lived in each generation were three times more likely to experience depression than folks in the generation before them. In the 20th century, 20 years ago, people were like three more... Three times more likely to experience depression and anxiety than the generation before them. That was 20 years ago. How much do you think that that is accelerated in our society to where it is today 20 years later? A study just came out that said that Generation Z, 15 to 21 year olds, over 61% of them said that they had experienced signs, either mental or physical, of stress and depression and anxiety. 61%. And we wonder... Why we feel so tired. You know, we think of psychology, the term. We think about it meaning the study of self, understanding ourself. However, that definition kind of misses the mark of what it actually means. The word for psychologist comes from the Greek word psych, which means soul. And what is our soul? Our soul is the deepest part of us. It's the inner voice that you hear. It's the voice that you pray to God with. It's how you commune with the Lord. Your soul was created for eternity, whereas the body that houses our soul will someday deteriorate and fall apart. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, you're falling apart? Now, would, listen, would you turn to the person who just said that to you and said, have you looked in the mirror lately? But friends, our soul, the deepest part of us, was made for eternity. We were created in the image of God. Not our bodies, but our souls were created in God's image. Maybe that's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And friends, when God created us, humanity and his image, his desire for us was to soar with him. But the challenges of this world in a broken world have a way of bringing us down. And so today, many of us are soul weary. Maybe that's why Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your soul. I want, I want to say something today that I want you to hold on to. And I want you to internalize because I'm going to say it a lot in this message. And that's this. God cares more about what's happening in you than he does with the circumstances surrounding you. God cares more about what's happening in you than he does with the circumstances surrounding you. Isn't that when Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, he said, For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In other words, as we live in the Spirit, as our souls commune with God, as we walk with Jesus, we should become more like Christ. And our attitudes and our actions should reflect that. And that's why Paul writes in Ephesians... about how we should live when we have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. It says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies 
Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting your anger control you. Let me ask you, has anybody struggled with anger in here during this election season? Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use your foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own. So get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as other types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Man, is that a scripture that we need to hear today? That when you put on Jesus, you take off your old self. You take off the attitudes that are about self and you begin to live for Jesus. You allow the Holy Spirit to transform the way that you think and the the attitudes that you have. And friends, let me just tell you, in this world, in our culture, in this toxicity, toxicity that we live in, it's easy for us to become offended. It's easy for us to become hurt. It's easy for us to get angry and it's easy to allow hate to take residence in our heart. And when that happens, we begin to get bitter. Are any of you bitter today? Do any of you hold grudges? You don't even have to answer. If you have your arms crossed, I know that you're a grudge holder because I am. Right? But here's the thing. The Lord wants to release you from that. Because bitterness is normal. What the Holy Spirit does through us is supernatural. But we struggle with bitterness, man. We struggle with non-forgiving other people. One of Abraham Lincoln's favorite stories was about a story of a man who was in a sickbed. And um, he had been told by doctors that he didn't have much time to live. And so he invited an old friend of his by the name of Brown that he had had quarrels with for many, many years, bitter quarrels. And they hadn't spoken in a long time. And so Brown comes to the the, the sick room uh, where his former friend had been and they speak together and, and he tells Brown that he's going to die soon. And, and in view of all of those things, um, he can't believe how petty their differences looked in the face of death. And then he asked Brown if they might be reconciled. And so the scene moved everybody because they had seen this bitterness between the two men for years and they all began to tear up and Brown clasped the man's hand and embraced him. And then he turned to walk out of the room, a shattered man. And then the man had one final thought. He raised himself up on one elbow and spoke one last time. But see here, Brown, if I recover, the old grudge still stands. Isn't that the way that we are sometime? One of my wife's favorite quotes is, bitterness is like drinking poison, hoping the other person will die from it. But the person that it damages the most is not the person we're bitter with. It's what bitterness does in our own hearts. A study in the Journal of Adult Development found that 75% of those surveyed believe they have been forgiven by God for past mistakes and wrongdoing. But only 52% say they have forgiven others. And even fewer, 43%, say they have actively sought forgiveness for harms they have done. Friends, as Christians who have taken off our old self and put on Jesus, these statistics are reminders that we have hard work to do. 
that we need to re-examine ourselves and not let the noise of the world around us influence the way that we treat others or the way that we are in relationship with the God who created us. So today we're going to end our series on All In by talking about Colossians chapter 4. If you want to turn there in your Bibles or in your uh, mobile devices or as Joe loves to say, your scrolls for some of you older folks, um, turn to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 2 through 6. Now, as Paul is pinning this letter to the church of Colossae, he is awaiting an audience with Nero, the emperor of Rome. Uh, The Jews had been plotting his death with the local government of Jerusalem. And so Paul, as a Roman citizen, appeals to Caesar. He says, look, I'm not going to accept a death sentence from this local government that's been influenced by the local population. I want to go to Caesar. And so he is taken to Rome where he is awaiting for two years an audience with the emperor of the Roman Empire. And during those two years, he takes his time in order to write these letters that will eventually become uh, called the prison letters. Now, while he's there, he's under house arrest. He doesn't have one of those little ankle monitors, you know, that you wear around if you're under house arrest. Instead, he has a Roman soldier who's guarding him 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Give me the ankle monitor any day than a Roman soldier, right? And it's during these two years that he writes to the church at Colossae about how we should live. He says... First off, in verse 2 of Colossians chapter 4, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. So what Paul is telling us is that we need to pray like you mean it. You hear what I'm saying? We need to pray like you mean it. Do you ever find yourself saying the same prayer over and over again? Not because we are thinking about what we're saying because it's something that we've memorized or we've heard or this just we get into a, a natural rhythm of life and, and those words just kind of pop out our mouths. For instance, when you sit down to eat, if you are going to pray before you eat, we often say this prayer. Lord, bless this food to our bodies, right? Now think about that. You go to McDonald's with one of your friends and you sit down and you order a Big Mac without cheese, without pickles, a large fry and a large Diet Coke. I don't know why I just said that. But suppose you order that. And you sit down with that person. You say, let's pray. Lord, would you bless this food to our body? Listen, friends. The Lord is not going to turn those calories into fairy dust. It's just not going to happen. That's not a sincere prayer of the heart. That's just words that we can kind of say out of rote memory. Ladies, wives, would you turn to your husbands and say, if you keep eating Big Macs, you're going to look like a Big Mac? Go ahead and say it. Come on now. Husbands, would you look at your wives and say, honey, you look beautiful no matter what you eat. Saving marriages all over the city today. Listen, prayer without focus, without intent is nothing more than empty words. Isaiah writes, and so the Lord says, these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. Jesus thought this was such an important message that he repeats it in Matthew chapter 15. And so when we pray, pray like you mean it. Pray with an alert mind. Be present in your prayers as you have a conversation with God. Make sure that you are speaking from your soul to his spirit. Make sure that you're pouring out your heart. Tell him what matters. Tell him what you're upset about. Tell him what you're afraid of. Tell him what you're excited about. Because he wants to have a relationship with you. So be present in your prayers and pray like you mean it. Because there's power in prayer. 
Now, I don't know if you know this, but today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. There are Christians all over the world right now who are suffering for no other reason that they believe that Jesus is the Son of God and they refuse to renounce Him as their Lord and Savior. And so we have come together as a church, large C church around the world and said, we are going to pray for those Christians today and ask that God would lift them up and save them from whatever situation they find themselves in. Then the God would protect them in a powerful way because friends, there is power in prayer. Do we believe that God still intervenes in the lives of men and women today? Do we believe that God still intervenes in the lives of men and women today? Okay. When I was in Jacksonville, I, I love uh, our military, and, and one of my really good friends was a lieutenant commander. He's a lieutenant commander now, and he, his mom would come to church occasionally, and uh, every child that she had, she had, I think, five kids, and every one of them was in a different branch of the military. And um, her husband had been a pilot in Vietnam, and after he got out of the military, he began flying for one of the airlines. 2010, he's flying into Afghanistan airport, which is one of the most dangerous airports in the world at that time. He would take his wife with him, and they had friends at, at the embassy who were Christians. And one day, one of the folks at the embassy t- told her this story. In 2010, there was a Christian Afghani minister who was taken captive because he was a believer in Jesus and he was thrown into a prison and he was beaten and he was tortured and they tried to get him to renounce Jesus as his Lord and Savior, but he refused to do it. And so they just decided, you know what, we're going to take care of this guy once and for all, even though we can't kill him, we're going to put a hardened Taliban soldier in his cell with him because we believe that he will kill this Christian pastor. And what do you think the church in Afghanistan began to do? They began to pray. For three days, nothing happened. For three days, nothing happened. On the third day, the man wakes up and he goes to the Christian pastor and he wakes him up. And he said, brother, please forgive me. And the pastor was shocked. He didn't know what to say. And he said, why? And he said, for two nights, I have dreamed, had horrible dreams. And in my dreams, Jesus came to me and he said, why are you persecuting me? And he said, so today I need to ask for your forgiveness And I want you to show me what it means to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. Now listen to me. Listen to me. I know sometimes we hear stories like that and we think that can't be true. That's crazy. But let me tell you, there is power in prayer. And when uh, and Connie, who's our missions director, we hear stories like this all the time from all over around the world where people who are, who are antagonistic towards God are accepting Him as Lord and Savior because, Lord, because God is not dependent on us for the salvation of others. He is going to do His will in His way and He is able to operate outside the natural laws of men and women. Do you understand that? And when we pray, things happen. Because prayer changes lives and miraculously and amazingly it changes the narrative. And so you want to make a difference in your life? Then pray. If you want to make a difference in your marriage, then pray. If you want to make a difference in in the lives of your children, then pray. If you want to make a difference in this country and around the world, then pray. Pray with intent, trusting in the one who loves you. And in doing so, if nothing else, you change yourself. Because God cares more about what's happening in you than He does 
with the circumstances surrounding you. And so I'm teaching this class on Wednesday night was Joe was in uh, Egypt, which they got back and everybody's safe and and, uh, can't wait to hear about his travels and and everything that happened. But when I'm teaching his class, it's called Skulls of Mush. It's for guys 16 to like 25 years old. If you want to come to his class, it meets in the green room every Wednesday night. And Joe is a fantastic teacher. You guys know that. But I was teaching on Daniel chapter 5, which is the story of, or Daniel chapter 3, which is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Say that three times fast. And the story is an amazing story. It's a story about these three guys who are exiles. Um, They've been taken out of Israel and been taken into captivity and they grow up into prominence because they were given positions in this kingdom. And this king decides to build this, this huge idol of himself. Uh, and he says that everyone in the country and the empire must bow down to him. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to bow down to him. And he, he's incensed. He's, in, he's furious. And he says, I'm going to throw you into a burning fire to kill you because you won't bow down to me. And you know what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say? They say, listen, king, our God can save us. But even if he doesn't, we will not stop following him and we will never bow down to your idol. And God saved them. Because prayer is not the least we can do. It's the most. Colossians chapter 3 says, Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That, That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Paul went of his own free will to stand before Nero, not for his benefit, but so that he could be a witness for Jesus. And friends, we need to pray for those divine, oppor- uh, those divine appointments. You know what a divine appointment is? A divine appointment is a God-inspired encounter. It's when God puts you in proximity uh, or in a situation for such a time as this. It's when God brings one or more people together in an undeniable way for his good works to take place. It's a conversation. It's a kind act. It's a heroic deed. I heard, you know, are any of you bikers? Come on, this is Daytona, people. We just had Biketoberfest. Well, maybe this happened in Daytona. I don't know, but there was a man who died. He went to the pearly gates and he was with Peter and Peter and he are talking. And he says, uh, hey, Peter, just to ask him, have you ever done anything in particular merit? And the man said, well, I can think of one thing. And he said, well, what's that? And he said, one day there was this gang of hell's angels who were threatening a young woman. I told them to leave her alone, but they wouldn't listen. And so I approached the biggest, most heavily tattooed biker of the bunch. I smacked him on his head, kicked over his bike and ripped out his nose ring and threw it on the ground and told him if he didn't leave her alone, he was going to have to answer it to me. And Peter was impressed. He's like, wow, that's impressive. When did that happen? The guy said, just a few minutes ago. Listen, God will put us in moments and situations where we can share our story with others about what he's done in our life. Happens hundreds of times to me. It happens to people every day. But there's one story in particular I want to share with you today. 1998, my cousin and I decided that we were going to backpack through Europe. Um, We were in our late 20s. We thought it would be a fantastic opportunity. So we took everything in one backpack for two weeks. And um, we lived, I lived in the great state of Indiana, God bless it. And um, I had a friend and he lived in Ohio. And so we were driving to Chicago. We were going to fly from O'Hare to London. And then we were going to take the, the train under the channel and uh, begin our journey. So when we got there, I was so excited. They sat us in the world traveler section, which just means these are the cheapest tickets that we have available. And uh, we prepared for our journey. Now, I like to talk to people all the time because I just like people. And... Um, My cousin, it irritates him. It irritates my wife. You know, people at Walmart don't care about your life story, Shane. But we were, uh, but that's what happens when you're from Indiana. You talk to everybody. So uh, 
I was sitting there and there was a young lady in her late 20s sitting next to me and we started talking and uh, she asked me what I did for a living and I said, I'm a pastor. And she said, well, that is a coincidence. I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, you know, I grew up in the outback of Australia and my mother died when I was young and I was devastated. And I wanted to know whether God was real or not. And so I took a a bowl of water and I put it in our backyard and I said, God, if you're real, make this water disappear by tomorrow. And she said, I went out the next day and the water was still there. And and from that moment on, I decided I didn't believe in God. I became an avowed atheist. I grew up, I went to college. I went to medical school in England where I met my husband. We got married, who he is also an avowed atheist. And then we came to Indianapolis to do our residency. And she said, you know, but lately I've been thinking about having children and I really want to have children, which has made me start thinking about God. And so I told my husband, I said, you know, I really... I want to have this conversation about God and he won't have it with me because he said, God is not real. And so I said, again, in a a moment of desperation, I said, God, if you're real, would you send someone to talk with me about who you are? And she said, and if that isn't the darndest thing, you're sitting next to me and you're a pastor. What a coincidence. Friends, I don't believe in coincidences. And for the next two hours, we talked about Jesus. And for the next hour after that, she drank a lot. But you've got a story to tell. You may not have all the answers. You may not how to to articulate it. But no one can deny the way that you came to Christ and the way that Jesus has moved in your life. If you want to know how to share your story, this every Wednesday night, we have wonderful worship here and Cord teaches on, on Wednesday nights in this room, does a great job. But we also have a class going on in room six right now on how to share your faith with other people. We're going to have the same class next year. If you're not able to attend that class or the, attend the classes next year, we have a pastor on staff, Pastor Kerry, who helps people tell their stories and shares with people how they can share their faith. And she'll help you offline or online if you'll just ask. Verses 5 through 6, Paul writes, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. And friends, if you are a believer, this should hit you right where you live. Live wisely among those who are not believers. As Christians, we have a responsibility to live out our faith. Paul writes in Philippians, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Work out what God has worked in. Because God cares more about what's happening in you than he does with the circumstances surrounding you. And let me tell you what happens when we don't. In his autobiography, Mahatma Gandhi uh, wrote that during his student days, he read the Gospels and studied them very seriously. And he considered converting to Christianity because he believed that the teachings of Jesus in him, he could find the solution to the caste system that was dividing India. And so one Sunday he decided to go to a local church and talk talk with the pastor about becoming a Christian. But when he entered the sanctuary, the usher refused to give him a seat and suggested that he should go and worship with his own people. Gandhi left the church and never returned. And he said, if Christians have caste differences also, I might as well remain a Hindu. Now listen to me. In church, every weekend, large C church, there are people from every political spectrum, every race, every color, 
every creed. And if we focus on the things that divide us, the gospel, the good news of Jesus will be lost in the chaos. Rather, we should focus on the things that unite us. And what is that? It's Jesus, right? Jesus is what brings us together because there's power in prayer. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's a story when I was uh, in 1997, I went to the Million Man March of Christians that were went to Washington, D.C. And Max Lucchetta was speaking that day. And he said, on the count of three, I want, and I believe that there are a million men there or close to it. He said, I want you to yell the name of Jesus. And on the count of three, and I've never seen anything like it. The trees shook at the name of Jesus when a million men shouted out his name. Because there's power in the name of Jesus. Friends, what brings us together is more than what divides us as a nation. Listen, we are one race, the human race, with one blood which is red. And we have one Savior who can save us. Just one. And so let us seek to come together as his people. Let us be refreshing to those that we encounter. Because you know what the psychologists say is the antidote for hate? Compassion. Maybe that's why Jesus said, do to others whatever you'd like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Toby Mack said, every person you see is someone Jesus thought enough to die for. Remember that and how you treat others. So devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Now, we're going to pray for the persecuted church in just a second, but I want you to hear these numbers. According to Open Doors Ministry, in the last year, there have been over 260 million Christians living in places where they are experiencing high levels of persecution. 2,983 Christians were killed for their faith. 9,488 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked. 3,711 believers were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. Simply because they call themselves Christians. And so we need to get on our knees and pray for those people. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I've listed the top ten countries where the persecution has taken place the heaviest. North Korea has been the number one persecutors of Christians for the last 19 years. So I'm going to ask you to do something. Would you commit with me? to praying for the people, the Christians of one of these ten nations for the next week. Can you do that for the next week? To pray for the persecuted Christians who are living in these countries. If you would like updates on on how to do that, uh, you can text PRAYER to 32500. 32500. We have information at the back of the room on the persecuted church that you can grab hold of. Uh, We have baseball cards made up of our missionaries that you can grab hold of and pray for these missionaries, wherever they are, that, um, that God would protect them and use them to do great things. But friends, let's pray together right now. Lord, I thank you so much for all that you're doing. And Lord, you know that the, the suffering that some of these folks are in right now, God, you know that 
They're afraid for their lives. They're afraid for their children's lives. They're, they're economically impacted. Some of them have lost jobs. Some of them have been thrown into prison. Uh, just like this young man who was saved by uh, the SEAL Team 6 uh, just last night or the night before, uh, who was a missionary in a, a West African country, Lord. We pray that not only you would protect these people, but that you would use them to take the good news of Jesus to every person they encounter, Lord. May we care about them as we care about ourselves, Lord. May we fund their ministries because we know if even if we can't go, we can still send others. So God, would you please protect them, take care of them, meet their every need. Lord, remind them of your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.